How to Study the Bible, Lesson 4, A High View of Scripture. In previous studies, we learned how to structure our lives, our hearts, and our habits around Bible study in a way that pleases God. However, how we view the Bible will determine whether the practices, characteristics, and qualities we have thus far discussed actually lead us to the fullness of God's truth. In modern religious discussion, one hears of those who have a low view of Scripture versus those who have a high view of Scripture. Having a low view of Scripture typically means that one emphasizes the humanness of the Bible, even perhaps to the exclusion of its divine characteristics. Those with the lowest view may hate the Bible and accuse it of being an evil, vile, and immoral book. Yet some who claim to be Christians also have views of Scripture which, while higher than the one just mentioned, are still too low because they fall short of what the Bible says about itself. Some will say that the writers of Scripture were simply gifted with keen insight into the spiritual world. Some will say that the ideas of Scripture are inspired but not the words. Others will say that the cultural and historical limitations of the writers of Scripture made it inevitable that they would express certain ideas in a way that was not true or accurate. As we shall see, none of these views of Scripture are high enough because, as we mentioned, none of these are in line with the Bible's self-affirmations regarding its own nature. The Bible's Witness to Itself in cultivating a high view of Scripture, there are several passages that should be memorized and written on our hearts. For this study, we shall simply consider six. The first passage is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. God has spoken to us. In most religions of the world, sacred writings are intuitional, that is, they represent human thoughts and speculations about God and the spiritual life. But the Bible claims to be revelational, that is, it represents God's own words about himself and his perfect understanding of reality. The second passage is Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, so it is not expedient for us to share the full text in this episode. But it is a good practice in cultivating a high view of Scripture to read this psalm very carefully and several times over, because the entire psalm is about the glory and greatness of God's Word. As you read, you will find that the psalmist uses several different expressions for God's Word. He calls it God's law. God's judgment, God's testimonies, and many other terms as well. But he is always contemplating the things God has spoken or revealed to us about himself and his will. Three times the psalmist says, I love your law. 
Throughout the 176 verses, he goes on to explain why he feels this way. He describes the Word of God as a lamp that shows him how to walk safely through life, as a solid foundation on which he can stand, and as refreshing water that brings life and strength to his empty soul. He says that God's Word is true, holy, just, good, and perfect. The third passage is 1 Corinthians 2, 12-13. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. In this passage, the Apostle Paul explains how God's revelation works. Remember G.E. Ladd's definition of the Bible? The Bible is the Word of God given in human language in history. How does the human element affect the message? Is God's mind lost in the weakness of human communication? Not according to the Apostle Paul. Paul says that the Holy Spirit works in the process of revelation, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, or as one translation puts it, we have even used the very words given to us by the Holy Spirit, not words that we as men might choose, so we use the Holy Spirit's words to explain the Holy Spirit's facts. The very words of God's messengers are, in a real sense, the words God gave them to express His thoughts. The fourth passage is 2 Timothy 3, 15-17. From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In this passage, we are carried from statements about God's Word in general to specifically statements about God's Word in Scripture. The statements made previously were true of God's Word when it was spoken directly from heaven or by the prophets or in any other sense that it might be communicated. But here they are also applied to God's Word written down to make the books of the Bible. The word inspired is from the Greek theopneustos, which means God-breathed. It shows that the source of all Scripture is God Himself. The concept of inspiration is somewhat broader, however, than revelation. In revelation, God speaks things that man could not otherwise discover, things from God's own mind. However, not all of the Bible is composed of this kind of material. In fact, most of the Bible is either historical records based on sources outside of the Bible, utilized by its authors, or eyewitness testimony, or personal expressions of devotion or passion or confusion or hope, or even personal correspondences between friends. God did not reveal this material to the authors so that they might in turn communicate it to us, but He did inspire the material. Inspiration means that God superintended or oversaw the process of the Scripture's writing 
so that it was perfect for his purposes and may be truly called his word. The fifth passage is from 2 Peter 1, 20-21. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, or as one translation says, is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Like the passage above, this passage attributes all the lofty and grand things the Bible says about God's messages in other forms to God's word in writing. The phrase prophecy of Scripture does not refer only to statements about the future. It's a general expression for every message in Scripture that claims to come from God. As we have seen in Paul's words to Timothy, that is, all Scripture. When Peter says that Scripture is not a matter of one's own interpretation, he is not describing our ability to understand the Scripture, but rather he is describing where the message originated. One translation says, No prophecy of Scripture is of any private origin. Earlier in this chapter, Peter said that the things he and the other apostles have shared were not cleverly devised fables, and in this verse he says that the words of Scripture were not given by an act of human will. Where then does the message of Scripture originate? Peter says, Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That statement is very clear, but to add even more weight, the phrase moved by the Holy Spirit is the same one Peter used to describe God speaking directly to the apostles on the Mount of Transfiguration in 1 Peter 2.17. In other words, the Word of God in Scripture is just as much the Word of God as the words He spoke directly in ages past. The sixth and final passage we will consider in this study for cultivating a high view of Scripture is John chapter 10, verse 35, where Jesus said, The Scripture cannot be broken. This statement simply means that everything Scripture says is true and authoritative. This is a reasonable and, in fact, an essential corollary to inspiration. If Scripture comes from God and is God's Word, then it must be true and authoritative. This is often called the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. In simple terms, the doctrines of inerrancy and infallibility are whatever Scripture says in its original form, properly interpreted, is true and absolutely binding on Christians for faith and practice. In later studies, we will discuss some vital issues for the proper interpretation of Scripture, such as figures of speech and literary genre and historical context, because if these things are not considered, then it may appear the Bible teaches things that are not true. But I am convinced that after careful consideration, inerrancy and infallibility are legitimate terms to apply to the Word of God in Scripture. A book like no other. There are certain facts about the history of the Bible that support the lofty claims Scripture makes about itself. As Bible students, it's helpful to know this information. The Bible has survived severe attacks from many of the most powerful forces in the world. In the Bible itself, we read of an occasion when a wicked king named Jehoiakim 
grew angry at the word of God, and he cut the scroll on which the Lord's message was written into pieces before throwing the fragments into a fire, Jeremiah 36. During the period between the Old and New Testaments, a king named Antiochus Epiphanes attempted to destroy all the sacred writings of the Jews. Faithful Jewish women helped preserve the scriptures by baking the scrolls into bread so that they would not be found by the persecutors. During the early history of the church, a Roman emperor named Diocletian ordered that all copies of the Bible be burned. Although many precious texts of God's word were lost, the Bible was not destroyed, and the Christian faith survived with it. In more recent history, the Bible has been attacked in other ways, mocked and slandered by social critics and demeaned by academics, but it has survived these attacks as well. The defense of the Christian faith is called apologetics. Biblical apologists have produced very impressive cases for faith in the Bible regarding its internal consistency, its theological purity, its historical and scientific accuracy, and its moral perfection. Although the Bible was never intended to be a book of science nor even a book of history, what it says in regard to both of these matters is always true, and this is a reflection and a necessary outgrowth of its divine inspiration. It is also amazing to consider how the Bible has endured as a precious and beloved book to so many people across the world, despite its age and oddities. The youngest parts of the Bible are more than 2,000 years old, and the oldest portions may be as old as human history. It was composed in cultures that no longer exist, with worldviews, customs, and forms of expression that are very alien to modern man, especially to modern Westerners. Even so, billions of people resort to the Bible for guidance, teaching, and wisdom to govern their lives and to enlighten their understanding. How has the Bible survived? Why is the Bible so influential? Only the hand of God, protecting and preserving His special word, can account for it. When we walk with the Lord, when we walk with the Lord, in the light of His word, in the light of His word, what a glory He sheds on our way, sheds on our way, while we do His good will, while we do His good will, He abides with us still, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and